Well, we finally arrive at the uh, <laughs> end of the book of Matthew, and uh, we've been working through this book over the last few years off and on, and uh, we finally get to the last uh, three verses of uh, the book of Matthew, and let me read them. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, and we, we talked about that last week, but then he says this, because of this authority, he says, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Uh, this is known as the Great Commission because Jesus commissions all of his followers to uh, go into the world and make disciples. There's also in the book of Matthew the great commandment. There's the great commandment and the great commission. Uh, the great commandment is that we are to love God with all our heart, soul, and mind, and we're to love our neighbor as ourselves. And then there's the great uh, commission, which is that we're to go and make disciples. And this, these three uh, ideas are to be a part of all of our lives, that we'd love God, that we'd love people, and there would be people who uh, are going and making disciples. And this, is, of course, our mission statement uh, of this church reflects that. Loving Jesus, loving people, and lives, seeing lives transformed reflects the great uh, commandment and the great commission. Now, the great commission, uh, Jesus charging us to go and make disciples, brings up a word that, uh, it's an E word, that really freaks out both Christians and non-Christians a lot of times. Uh, it can freak out Christians because uh, sometimes it can make us feel guilty that we're not doing a very good job at it. It can, it can make us feel that we need to be someone, maybe that we're not, or do things that we really just don't want to do. Or we just don't want to end up being like this guy, you know, bashing people in the head of the Bible and being annoying. So the word scares Christians. And of course it scares non-Christians because non-Christians don't want to have that happen to them, Right. They don't want to be evangelized. They don't want to be told that they're wrong, we're right, and they, want, they just don't want to be, they see televangelists, and they just, that word kind of freaks everybody out, and, uh, and maybe it shouldn't, I don't know, but it's just, evangelism has been abused enough that this word is maybe not the best word in, anymore, but nonetheless, Jesus calls us to go and make disciples. Uh, very clearly, he says, that all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. And we again talked about this last week. That Jesus, that he is king of his entire universe. He is king over us. He is king of his, of his kingdom. That he has all power and all authority. And as we talked about last week, this isn't like, you know, mean power and authority. This is, he is 100% powerful and 100% loving. That his power is always for us, it's not against us. And so we can run to Jesus and trust him and hold on to him and, and that his commands are good for us. But because he is king and because he is God, that means we as his followers, we want to do what he says. So it means to be a disciple. That's a follower of Jesus. A Christian means someone who follows Jesus. And that means we follow his teachings. And he tells us that we're to go and make disciples. And, and so we, we obey that, and, and we, we, we want to share Jesus with people, and we want to talk to others and, and, and tell them the good news. But not only are we commanded to do this, that as followers of Jesus, we should want to do this. 
that can be awkward to do this, and sometimes we might feel uncomfortable, but, but anything in our lives that we really appreciate or it's really exciting, we, we usually tell people about. I mean, if you go to a good restaurant, you say, hey, you know, that was a great restaurant, or you see a really good movie like David and Goliath, you tell everybody to come, and <laughs> maybe not that one, but uh, I mean, you go uh, like a nice place for vacation, you, you tell people, I mean, it, I mean, there's times when I'm talking to people about diet or food, and I say, well, this really helped me, and we share that with people, but who has changed us more than Jesus? I mean, Jesus has affected us as his followers and transformed us so much that, 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 if you're a follower of Christ, it's something that you want to share with people. And it can be difficult and awkward, or we might have fears of being rejected, but that's part of our heart is we want to share Jesus. And so if you're here and you're not a follower of Christ, uh, you just got to understand that, that us as Christians, we, we want to share Jesus with you. Because he's helped us and transformed us and, and renewed us and, and done so many amazing things that we want. We want to share Jesus with people. And it's just part of the nature of being a Christian is someone who shares uh, Jesus. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5 says that he is committed to us, that is God, he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. That this thing uh, uh, of telling people about Jesus and his goodness and his kingdom, that God has given that job to us. He didn't give it to angels. He, he doesn't just kind of do all the work on his own, that he has called us as his ambassadors to be people who would go and tell others about Jesus and how he, he can transform their lives and, and change their lives for good. So the first thing about this text, he says, therefore go and make disciples. This implies that we go. It doesn't say stay. It says go. That means we need to go and be around people who don't know Jesus. Uh, if, if you only hang around people who know Jesus, then you're not following this because that's staying. You can't tell people about Jesus if they already know about Jesus. I mean, we can build each other up, but, but we need to, to go. And this is what Jesus modeled throughout his ministry. Jesus was a goer. And we are to be goers as well. Uh, John 17. This is Jesus praying for us. He says, I'm not, asking, uh, I'm not asking you take them out of the world, but keep them safe from the evil one. And so the last thing we as Christians should do is be people who escape from this world, who go hide out in bunkers or become a monk or, you know, he says, no, I, I don't want them taken out of the world, but I want you to keep them safe. In other words, there are parts of our, uh, our living, uh, there are places where we're involved in culture that aren't going to be safe. I mean, if we were always supposed to live a safe life, there would be no need for Jesus to say, keep them safe from the evil one. I mean, there, there are times when we're engaged in activities in this world that, that may be, in a sense, a little risky. And we'll talk about that in a moment. But Jesus does say they don't belong to the world because we're not part of his kingdom. We're not of this world any more than I do. And he says, make them holy by your truth. Teach them your word, which is truth. And then he says... Just as you, God, sent me into the world, I am sending them into the world. So Jesus is sending all of us who follow Christ into this world. Uh, that we need to be around those who don't know Jesus. Uh, that we're not 
uh, following the Great Commission if we only hang out with Christian people all the time and only have Christian friends and are never around those who don't know Jesus. Now, it's pretty uh, actually hard to only be around Christian people in this area because there's a lot of people who don't know Jesus, right? You, you see them at work and, and, all, and all over the place. But, but we are to be goers. And Jesus was a goer. And we see this all over the place in the scriptures. Uh, Jesus' first miracle was done at a wedding. Uh, Jesus goes to a wedding, and uh, a wedding in those days would last uh, about a week long. They really made their weddings fun and exciting. And, uh, and as uh, a, the father of the bride, as, 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 as the bride was getting older and getting ready for marriage, the, the family would always be putting away barrels of wine for the wedding because wine was a big part of celebration back then. Biblically, wine is something that is used to celebrate life. Sadly, some people abuse alcohol and use it to escape life and rather than celebrate life. But he goes to this wedding, and they run out of wine. Who knows how many days they've been drinking. Maybe they've been drinking too much, or maybe there's just more people there. But they, they run out of wine, which is a big social faux pas. And uh, Jesus' mom says, hey, you've got to do something about this. And Jesus doesn't say, you know, these guys have been drinking too much. These guys are worldly. You know, I'm not, I don't want to be hanging out with these people because I'm a religious leader. These guys are just, you know, in the darkness, and I don't want to be doing that's not what he does. He does something crazy. It says that nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used for the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, now draw uh, some out and take it to the master of the banquet. So they did so, and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. And he said, this is the most amazing wine ever. So Jesus didn't just make wine. He makes really, really good wine. <laughs> and he makes a lot of it. He makes a lot of wine. It says each jar was 20 to 30 gallons. And I just calculated this out. It's like, he brought like 700 bottles of wine to this wedding. Now that's kind of scandalous. You think about a religious leader showing up a party today where everybody has already been drinking and maybe drank too much, and the religious leader shows up with 700 more bottles of wine to a party saying, this is the best wine, you need to have some. I mean, what would you do if you heard that about me? You'd be like, he's too worldly, he's too much in the culture, I mean, yeah, yeah, we should fire him or whatever. But Jesus even does something more radical because he actually used the water from the purification jars to make this wine. You weren't even supposed to drink the water out of the purification jars. They were used for becoming ritually clean, and he uses that to, to, to make the party more fun. And here we see Jesus being in the world, enjoying culture, blessing the culture, and he does his first miracle beginning to reveal who he is. Uh, Jesus calls us to do these kinds of things. Uh, to not be separate from the world, but be to, to engage in and around and celebrating with people who don't no, Jesus. Now we just see this, Jesus doing this all the time. Mark 2. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, Levi, uh, that's, that's Matthew, actually wrote this gospel. He was a tax collector, which uh, were the most hated people among the Jews. Uh, many of them were Jewish people who had, you know, in their minds, betrayed themselves to the Romans, and they were collecting taxes. It's like, you know, like the parking meter man in Nelson. I mean, we all like, uh, don't give me a ticket. This was way worse. Jesus is having dinner with him and a whole bunch of other tax collectors. And sinners were eating with him and his disciples. 
uh, for there were uh, many who followed him. And when the teachers of, of the law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And the reason was, in those days, if you had a meal with somebody, you were in a sense, uh, in a sense saying, these are my friends. And Jesus is hanging around with the most hated people in the religious people's mind, the most worldly, crazy people who are the farthest from God, and he's hanging out with them. And what amazes me is that these people seem that they were comfortable around Jesus. It's funny how many times that the people who don't know Jesus are really uncomfortable around us because they're thinking we're going to do some religious trip on them. They seem to be really comfortable around Jesus and wanted to hang out with him, and they did. Uh, because I think they knew Jesus loved them and cared for them and was just loving on, on them. Uh, Luke 19, another story. Uh, when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come now to me. Now Zacchaeus was the chief tax collector, the most hated guy of the day. The, the last person, any person who was religious would ever hang around with, Jesus does it. And he says, I must stay at your house today. So he come down at once, and he welcomed him gladly. I mean, just think about the, 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 the most farthest person from God uh, that you can think of. Uh, if you came up, would he welcome you gladly to their home? Say, please, come to my house. I know you care for me. I know you love me. Or you like, you know, I don't know. You're going to tell me all the horrible things I've done or whatever it might be. Again, these people who are the farthest from God seem to just welcome Jesus. And they seem to be comfortable around Jesus as he lived in culture. And it said, all the people saw this and began to mutter again, he is gone to be the guest of a sinner. Jesus received a lot of muttering, a lot of complaints, a lot of ridicule because he was engaged in culture. And it can be the same with us. Now look at that Christian. What is he doing going to that vent or whatever? What is he doing? He shouldn't be involved in that kind of thing. In fact, uh, in Matthew 11, here's one of the complaints. The Son of Man, on the other hand, as Jesus says, feasts and drinks, and you say he's a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and other sinners, but wisdom is shown right by its results. Jesus was, uh, the rumor was that he's a glutton, he's a drunkard, he's a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Imagine if, if someone had a rumor about some religious leader today. That religious leader, he's a drunk and a glutton, and he's a friend of the worst kind of, I mean, this might be, I mean, this is scandalous. Even today, this is scandalous, but Wisdom is shown right by its results. God loves people. He loves all people. It doesn't matter what kind of lifestyle, what kind of orientation, where they've been, what they've done. If it's you or me or people out there, God loves people and wants everyone to be a part of his kingdom. And he sends Jesus on this mission to get engaged with people who don't know Jesus so that they can know Jesus. And Jesus says, as God sent me, that he sends us. To follow in the footsteps of Jesus. Now, one of the questions we can ask sometimes is, uh, well, should I go to the party? I was invited to a party. A lot of non-Christians there, and they're going to party it up. Should I go or should I not? Well, I think the best answer that, that I like to say is, can you be a thermostat or are you going to be a thermometer at the party? And what's the difference? Well, a thermometer, basically, if you take a thermometer into a cold room, it kind of goes to the level of the room. You take it into a hot room, it kind of gets to the level of the room. Some people, uh, as Christians, end up doing this. It's not a good thing. 
You go to a party where everybody's drinking their heads out and, you know, smoking a doobie or whatever it might be, and you just engage. You just come to the temperature of the room. You gossip like everybody else. You, you start drinking your head off, and you're drunk, and, and you just, you just, that's not what we're called to be. In the world, but not of the world. Uh, love and light, that should be where we are, even in the midst. It's what Jesus did in the midst of culture. We need to be a thermostat. What does a thermostat do? It doesn't adjust the temperature of the room. It changes the temperature of the room. Uh, we are called to be light in dark places. Uh, that we can go to a party. Uh, you can, uh, I mean, if you're not addicted to alcohol, you can enjoy a beer or a wine and, and celebrate life with everybody out there. But you don't abuse it. You don't use it to escape life. You, you get involved and you pray for people and you bless them. And if people are gossiping, you don't gossip. And, and you become a thermostat in the midst of that culture because we're called to go and make disciples. We are not called to run from life, but to engage in life as light, as a thermostat, someone who changes it rather than succumbs to what is going on. Here's just a couple of thoughts about going to making disciples. Uh, we must share our faith in love. Uh, Galatians 5, 6 says, the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. The teaching that Jesus taught above all things is that we must love people and love them deeply. Any kind of sharing of your faith that's not done in a loving way is not Jesus style. If you're confrontative, if you're argumentative, if you're not listening to them, you're just trying to show them that they're wrong and you're right, that's not loving because love is patient. It means you got to listen. Love is kind. Love is gentle. Love is all those things. And 1 Corinthians 13 says, If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast but do not have love, I gain nothing. And you can go on and say, hey, if you go tell 100 people about Jesus but you're not loving, you've gained nothing. That's not Jesus style. I mean, people said we are to be known uh, by our love, even as we share our faith. With other people. Now, now, sometimes I know we can we can approach it in a loving way, and people just get really offended, and and they may not see it as loving. But but we must try to be loving because that is the highest calling of a Christian is to love Jesus, and to love love people. Now, we don't want to be one of these guys. Here's uh, on the internet a definition of an evangelist: a person who wants to share their religious views with you, but never wants you to share yours with them. That's not loving. Uh, you need to listen. Uh, you need to listen well. This goes to our, nec our next point here. We must be willing to care for the whole person, not just their relationship with God. Uh, the old saying, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Did you know Jesus, most of the time before he taught or he shared faith with somebody, cared for their needs? And uh, kind of evangelical churches, I think, have gone too far sometimes where they just like, I don't care about the poor, I don't care about the hungry, I don't care about justice, I just care about bringing people to Jesus. That's the only thing that counts. Well, that's not Jesus style. Uh, other churches, liberal churches, have well, I don't really care about their spiritual life, we just want to feed the poor and hungry. It's like both. We need to do both. Uh, we see Jesus, for instance, he went through all the towns and villages teaching in their synagogues, talking about the kingdom, uh, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. 
And we see Jesus in, in Matthew 14. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them. And he healed their sick. Taking the five loaves and two fish of heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to people. They all ate and were satisfied that Jesus cared more about people than just their spiritual life. When Jesus says that we're to love our neighbor as ourselves, I mean, I care about my physical needs. I care about justice in my life. I care about hunger. I, I care about, you know, my family. I care about my health. And, and we're to love other people in the same way. Uh, that, that we're to care for the hungry and care for the poor. It's why we do things like the food bank and different things. that uh, care for your neighbors. And, and we also care about their spiritual state. And we tell them about Jesus. But don't just be focused on their relationship with God because um, a lot of times people aren't willing to listen to you until they see that you actually care for them as a person. And number three, uh, don't be afraid to talk about spiritual things. It's really not that scary. Uh, I think we kind of get too scared when it's really not that hard because people like to talk about spiritual things. I think a lot of times when we get scared to talk about our faith is because we think we need to prove that we're right, we need to be able to answer every question, and we need to argue them to Jesus in the spot. That, again, that's not necessarily always loving. I mean, it's simple to ask sometimes a question. Uh, you're talking with someone, hanging out, and hey, do you have any spiritual beliefs? I mean, I always have an easy end because I always ask people, hey, what do you do for a living? And they go, blah, 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 and they ask me, what do I do? I say, I'm a pastor. And that usually kind of leads somewhere, right? Uh, or you're talking to sometimes people will say, well, I, I'm not like a religious person like you. You can say, hey, uh, you mean you've never had a religious experience? And I guarantee you pretty much everyone will say, well, yeah, I've had a religious experience. And you say, well, tell me about it. And you listen. I mean, even the other day we had someone coming into the food bank here and we were wandering around and, and they were like, wow, this is a really nice church. I said, hey, have you ever been to a church? He said, yeah, I grew up in a church, and he went on and began to talk about how he didn't really believe in the Trinity and that Jesus was God, and you know, I really listened to him. And, and he walked away from here saying, yeah, I think I might come to your church sometime. I mean, I didn't bash him over the head and argue, like, you're all wrong, and you're you know, some horrible person. I mean, we do it in love, and, and don't be afraid to talk about spiritual things. I mean, especially here. There are so many spiritual people. Everybody is spiritual around here. And sometimes you say, what, what do you believe? You think there's a God? Uh, what are your spiritual beliefs? And they'll love to share. And most of the times after they've shared and you've really listened, maybe asked some questions, they're going to say, well, what do you believe? I mean, don't be afraid to talk about spiritual things. All right, so we're to go and we're to make disciples of all nations. This is not just uh, us white folk. This is all uh, nations. Jesus said, you'll see power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And Samaria was like the last place they ever wanted to go. But Jesus said, go. The gospel is for all people. Uh, it's for uh, Arab people. It's for Palestinian people. It's for Israelis. It's for you. It's for me. It's for all nations. In fact, what's going to be so beautiful is when we get to heaven, here's a picture of heaven. There before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne and before the Lamb. I mean, the last person you should ever be as a Christian is somebody who is racist in any way. You shouldn't be talking down about, you know, this race or that race, this kind of people. Or, 
uh, we love all people, and we want all people to know Jesus. It doesn't matter their color, their shape, their size, their economic status. We just, we just love them to Jesus. Make disciples of all nations, and we're to baptize them. And notice it says, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. It doesn't say names. It's a little picture of the Trinity. Uh, if the Father was not the Son and the Son, I mean, if, uh, I mean, if, if the, Jesus was not God and the Holy Spirit were not God, it would be baptized them in the names. But it's one name, three persons. And if Jesus were not God, this would be an entirely blasphemous statement for Jesus to say, I'm in the same category as the Father. Picture of the Trinity. But we're to baptize people. When someone's ready, when someone's been walking with Jesus, and they're ready to say, hey, I'm ready to commit my life to him and follow him, then we baptize them. And if you are here and you've made a commitment to Jesus and you have not yet been baptized, there's something you need to do. It's very similar to getting married. I mean, you can kind of live together, uh, but that's like, hey, we got, you need to get a ring on. You need to get married. And, and baptism is kind of like that. And, uh, the ring doesn't make me love my wife. It's a symbol of, of my love and commitment to her. And, and baptism is just a public symbol that, hey, I'm someone committed to Jesus. And we'll take a person and we dunk, dump them in the river or sometimes they'll put a little uh, swimming pool up here and we baptize you. But this can take a while. I mean, uh, sometimes we have people who will come to this church for six months, even a year, until they're ready to say, you know, I think I'm ready to follow Jesus. Uh, evangelism looks different today than it did like 50 or 100 years ago. I mean, 50 or 100 years ago, everybody knew about God. Everybody knew about Christianity. It was just a Christian culture. And sometimes you just need to remind them, hey, repent and turn to God. And they're like, okay, I'll turn to God. And I, it's amazing how many people don't know a thing about Jesus. And we can't expect in one five-minute conversation to bring someone who knows nothing about Jesus to a place where they're totally committed to Jesus. Now, it can happen, but it's really rare. I mean, it's just crazy as if, let's say you were single, and uh, I showed up at your door and said, hey, I found this person. You need to get married to this person. I got a priest here. Let's get married in three minutes. Three minutes, we're going to get You'll be like, I have no idea who this person is. Uh, can I get to know them? Can we at least go on a date? And, and sometimes we're like, that with Jesus. Hey, there's this guy who can change your life, and he's done all these things. You got to get to know him. You got to make a commitment, and right now you got to make it. So like, I don't even know the guy. I mean, sometimes there's a dating period where they have to work through questions. And I mean, I had to work through questions, and, and it can take a while. And, and we walk with them, and we teach them, and we help them. We love them until a place where they're finally ready to say, you know what? I really believe he, and he's been working my life and changing my life and doing so many good things. And I, now I'm ready. And, they, and they, they, they turn their lives under Jesus, and when they're ready, we baptize them. But we need to allow people that space. I mean, I heard of one guy who used to go around and he would, like, go sit down at, like, in a restaurant. There's people there. He'd go sit down at their table and say, you need to commit your life to Jesus. And they're like, get lost. Please get lost. And he's like, no, I'm not leaving until you pray the sinner's prayer. And some people just pray it to get rid of this guy. And he would come home and say, yeah, I got led five people to Jesus today. Really? Uh, you just annoyed five more people farther away from Christianity than they were uh, before. I mean, uh, Give them time. Sometimes they're ready. Sometimes they're ready away, but sometimes you just got to give them space. Just as we need space when in our relationships to get to know the person to we're ready to get married, uh, walk with people. This is Jesus walked with the disciples, walk with people as they work towards faith.
And then we're to teach them to obey everything I have commanded you. And what was the major commandment? Uh, love Jesus and to love God. In fact, Jesus, if, remember when Jesus said, teach everything I've commanded you, there was no letters of Paul, no Romans, none of that stuff yet. It was just the teachings of Jesus. And this is the main commandment of Jesus, Matthew 13. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And so the thing that we must be teaching people is how to love deeply. How to love God deeply, how to love people deeply. Any kind of teaching that doesn't fall into that, that, that broad category is not the kind of teaching. I mean, some people just want to make everybody all religious, and here's the 500 rules that you must follow, and put this burden on. Jesus said, hey, I came to set you free. Uh, everything I commanded you. This is not just words. How did Jesus teach his disciples? Yes, Ted, yeah, lots with words and a lot by example. John 13, he says, for I've given you an example that you also should do as I have done to you. Or Paul uh, said, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me. Practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. That a large part of our teaching to make and develop disciples is example. And sometimes example is far more powerful than your words and your teaching. The best way to disciple your kids towards loving Jesus and loving people is not through your words, but example of how you love your wife, how you love your husband, how you talk about God, how the love, there's love in your home, how uh, there's, there's, you know, a place where there's an atmosphere of loving one another and no gossip and anger and those kind of things. That will disciple your kids and your family towards God more than, than teaching a lot of times. And so don't underestimate your example at work because the way you carry out your uh, life at work is, is your witness. You're either a bad witness or a good witness. You're either drawing people towards Jesus or saying, well, look at that guy. I guess Christianity doesn't work. Look at him. Uh, so example, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And, and by the way, uh, one of the reasons why a lot of Christians stop growing, because, I mean, there are people who come here every week and just years, and sometimes it just doesn't seem that people change. And I think one of the reasons sometimes we don't change is because we have really no need to change. I mean, if you're on mission, if you're going and making disciples, if you're going out into this culture, you know what? You're going to be asked hard questions. Well, what about all these contradictions in the Bible? What about, how could God allow suffering? I know what about Jesus being God, this kind of thing. How can you believe in that? Or what about all the atrocious things the church has done? And when you start getting asked hard questions like that, all of a sudden, when you sit in church, your ears perk up because I got I to learn stuff. I got to take this in because I need this out on the mission field. And, and I got to do some study because I, I want to know how to answer questions and I know how to love people better. But if you're never engaged in mission, what do you care about growing? You don't really need that information anyways because, hey, <laughs> no one asks you that question because you're not around anybody who asks those questions. If you start getting around people who start asking questions and challenging your Christianity, all of a sudden your growth goes, I'm going to start growing. All of a sudden you get engaged in worship because, God, I need you to bless me this week, and I need some help. And I mean, if you're a tired, bored, worn-out Christian, maybe it's because you've forgotten about mission. But the good news is 
Jesus said, I'm with you always to the very end of the age. That in all this, we're not alone. He never sends us out there to, you know, just get eaten up by, a, you know. He's with us. And it's amazing sometimes when you're engaged in a conversation with somebody, how the presence of God is just there. How you answer questions that you didn't even know you could answer. How, how God is just at work in, in mysterious ways. I mean, he is with you in everything. And this is a promise. I mean, one of Jesus' names is God with us. Hebrews 13 says, and never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. It's another reason why you need not fear to talk about spiritual things, because God is with you, and he is with me. Uh, and so let us engage in culture. Let us not be like the Pharisees who are just like, oh, don't do that kind of thing. I mean, the thing that freaked the Pharisees out, I think, a lot is that God would look like Jesus. Jesus was doing things that they think God would never sanction, that God would never be doing. And they're like, you couldn't be God because God would never do the things you do. Well, Jesus revealed who God is. To look at Jesus was to look at God. And our God is a missionary God. He came, he, he was sent into this culture. He sends this to this culture, and we're not alone. And so uh, keep praying about this. Keep, keep uh, watching your example. Keep loving, keep praying for those around you. And, uh, and let's engage in the mission he's called us. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you have changed our lives so much. I thank you've done so many uh, amazing things in my life and many of the lives here. We thank you for a kingdom. We thank you for power. We thank you for the Holy Spirit. We thank you for grace and mercy. We thank you for help. We thank you for hope. And God, we thank you for truth. Uh, God, help us not to be selfish with all that you've given us. God, may we be people who who are sent, and we go out just as you have gone out. Uh, God, help us to, to love those around us, even if they're different and, and radically different than us. May we love them as you love them. God, I pray you give us each keen insight and in, in where we can connect best in this culture, uh, where we can connect best with those who are far from you. And God, we just pray that you'd help us to hold on to the promise. You'd help us let go of problems and hold on to your promise that you're with us no matter what we're going through. And I pray that promise over each person here, anyone struggling, feeling alone, or feeling uh, that their needs aren't being met, that, that God, your promise of being with us might overshadow them in every way. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.